This episode is dedicated to the memory of our friend, T.J. Weatherby. It's the Black Sheep, Kevin James Weatherby, and you're listening to Give Me Back, My Pro Wrestling. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. This is Steve Bowtie Bryant here. Back in the 90s, I was a pro wrestling photographer for the South. And I released what might have been one of the original sets of indie trading cards. I ran across some of these original sets. They were up in Randall Fanning's attic all this time. PG-13 rookie card. Ricky Morton, George Weingroff as the Sheep, Chris Champion, Reno Riggins, Billy Montana, Gary Valiant, the Scorpion, the Medic, Rick Reynolds, Jeff Daniels, Mephisto and Dante, Ben Jordan, Steve Neely, Marcus Woodrow, Clinton Charisma, Little Farmer John. If you'd like an opportunity to get these cards, contact me now. You can get them for only $49.99. Contact me at Steve Bowtie Bryant at iCloud.com. Get your set now while supplies last. Hey, this is Jimmy from the Live and in Color with Wolfie D and Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling Podcast. Would you like to also make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. And that's how you're hearing this right now. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, it's made the job of producing multiple podcasts so much easier. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome one more time to the Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling Podcast. And as always, I'm here with my brother from the same father and mother, the Plastic Sheik, Jared Street. What's up, Sheik? How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, brother. How about yourself? And I am in it to win it, brother. So we've right. got a very cool show today, man. I'm very excited about it. We got It's a tribute to my old buddy and all of our old buddy, TJ Weatherby. And yeah, we've, we've got Kroll. His basically is one of his best friends and business partner coming on. And we've got his son, Kevin Weatherby, coming on to help us go over some things about TJ and just celebrate him and give him a tribute and, you know, stuff like that. What hey, do you man, think? I'm excited. To, you know, unfortunately, I didn't know TJ, but it's going to be uh, good to 
hear some stories about him from the people who did know him best. So yeah, yeah, you'll learn some stuff. Yeah, I'm for excited, sure. Yeah. yeah, so we'll have fun with that here in just a few minutes. We'll have Kroll and Kevin come on and we'll talk to them and reminisce about the good old days when TJ was around. And we definitely miss him. And we definitely appreciate all y'all for listening to this one today. It could get emotional, but that's okay. We, that's okay, man. Yeah, yeah. But before we get into that, we'll go over a few things. Now, of course, last episode, we had Todd Champion on the show. Excellent show, y'all. Thank you for turning out for that one. A lot of fun. I'm you know, not surprised by the numbers, but definitely appreciate the numbers for sure. So thank you all so much for that. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me, though. Todd had a good thing going, man. Very cool episode. Yeah, man. Very cool guy. Uh, from his time in football to wrestling, man, he's got a lot of stories and, and we loved hearing hearing all we did. You know, I'm sure there's many more that we didn't even scratch the surface of and, you know, yeah. made down the road, hopefully we could have him back on sometime. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hopefully so. Yeah, we'll talk to him in a little bit. You know, other things going on in the world. What else is going on? Oh, yeah. Vince McMahon is gone from the WWE forever. Forever. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean... At this point, he just needs to be gone. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying everything is true in that lawsuit or that everything is, you know, whatever, but uh, where there is smoke, there is some fire at least. So, um, you know, something nice wasn't going on. You know, you can, there's text messages out there you can read. Are they, are they legit? I I don't know. I'm not an expert on. Uh, seeing screen grabs of text messages and knowing if that's legit or not. So, right, right, yeah, man. Though, if if, if yeah, <laughs> Vince got that freak in him. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, the genetic jackhammer is trying to <laughs> jackhammer. I guess you could say, man. I, I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. And I, I, I hate to go into it too deep on a nice show where we're tributing my friend. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I, it's just the funny things in life. You know, like there's certain things you think about a person all your life and you're like, OK, this guy's a whole total businessman, loves the wrestling business. Heck, it's part and parcel for creating a lot of it. You know what I mean? And now it turns out that you know he's not as buttoned up as we thought at least his yeah. pants you know yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah but anyway well we hope everything gets settled as well i did say the royal rumble was fun man i you know we did our predictions between one another and we'll never be able to prove it but i was right on the you got both of them right yeah i can't believe that actually man because you know it's funny you text me you were like hey uh, i think i got the i think i got punk did you I had punk and bailey i had punk, punk and, bailey. and bailey yeah and that was close i mean it was very close but i mean yeah i mean it was just, <laughs> i was uh i hit it with the women's and then you know i was down to 1v1 on the men so right so I think Bailey will probably not win the title and she'll end up getting kicked out of damage, whatever it's called. What's it called? The damage control. So, I mean, like they yeah. say she's challenging Rhea, but I almost think like some stuff's going to go down and she's going to end up chan- chan- challenging EO Sky. 
Mania. I think it'll change and things will go down. I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, they they showed EO sitting there with like a worried look on her face, like what's mm-hmm. going to happen and concerned. And then Rhea's like smiling. So yeah, some could happen. That's a good point. You know, I don't see her beating Rhea. I just don't. I think they're doing something with her. So I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I don't think she's beating Rhea. So if it's Rhea, I don't think she's. Uh, yeah, I don't think she's doing it. Um. I think the story is with her and EO for sure. I think. Yeah. yeah. I do think I read something that's kind of interesting. Um, and I don't know if, if it's insider information or if they know or think they know, but that the rock is probably going to be either a guest enforcer or the referee for Cody V Roman. And that's probably where, and they say that's where the heat between uh, the rock and Roman will start and that they may have a match down the road for that. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. I mean, Cody may win the title because of, you know, rock keeping uh, solo fair. or, you know, the things fair. Yeah. So that, that would be interesting, but you know, I still hate when someone can't beat, you know, I never like it when the baby face ultimately does not triumph in the way that a normal, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. if he wins because of something the rock does, I mean, as long as it's keeping the goons out of the ring, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. It's keeping you know, solo or Jimmy, I guess out. Jimmy so. Yeah. Yeah. Or me. I might come in there. Or Jimmy street. Yeah. Smack Cody too, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So yeah, that was a good rumble. I mean, it was a quick show, even though there were four matches. I mean, it just you know kind of moved along pretty quick, and and even though the rumbles can take a while, it was it was a you know I, I was kind of surprised at how short the four way was, but I guess you know it had to happen that way, and then you know Randy didn't take the loss, so he still got some you know. I pretty much knew AJ was going to take the loss. I, I, I just knew it. And, yeah, uh, I told uh, I told Little Sheik that uh, when it started, I was like, I was like, Roman's going to pin AJ somehow, and that's, I mean, to me, AJ is the most made guy in the match that you weren't trying to. That it didn't really make him look weak. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, Randy needs to be more keep his role going, and LA Knight, it would have unjustly hurt his his run if, if he could have the pin yeah yeah could have could have well what happens we don't know but you know it looks like there's some good wrestling about to come on and and hopefully you know wrestlemania will start to come together soon before our very eyes so we got the some other premium live events coming up so hopefully we'll start to see the card take shape and and it'll be a good wrestlemania but we're not here to talk about any of these people today. We're here to talk about TJ Weatherby, one of the, I think, best promoters in the Middle Tennessee area. And, you know, in his time, he always had a great promotion that was had some great cards and, and had some great people wrestling on it. So what I say is let's go ahead and take a quick break. We'll bring Kroll and Kevin on and we'll talk more about TJ. What do you say? Sounds good to me, man. All right. Now, I want y'all to pay very close attention to the breaks because you may hear something. Uh, Don't go skipping everything. We just want y'all to hear some of these, you know, other people talking about TJ. Let's just say that. Listen close. 
Is it bad when you said, don't go, I was getting ready to break in, don't go messing with the country boy? <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll just skip that. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be right back after these messages with more from Gimme Back, my pro wrestling. Hey, guys, this is Wolfie D from PG-13. Check out my podcast, Live and in Color, with Wolfie D every Monday at noon. We're talking Memphis. We're talking ECW, WCW, WWF, everywhere that I've been. We even have some great guests, some Hall of Famers on the show with us. Every Monday, Live and in Color with Wolfie D. This is Crawl, and you're listening to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling with Jimmy Street and Jared the Plastic Sheik. Be sure to like, subscribe, and view all of our USWO and Saw Wrestling content at Nashville Wrestling Network exclusively on YouTube. Miss him, 
but he'll never be forgotten. Like the fans said, he may be gone, but he's never forgotten. We're going to always remember what a man Terrence James, T.J. Weatherby was. And what an absolute true dear friend T.J. was. That's right. And he'll always be an original sexy thing to me. All right, we are back with more from the Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling podcast. And as always, I'm here with my brother, the Plastic Sheik. But we've got two very special guests about today's episode. We've got the man himself, Kroll, and we've got the son of the subject we're talking about today, Mr. T.J. Weatherby. We've got his son and my old friend, Kevin Weatherby. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me on. Yes, sir. Pleasure. Good to have you all. Well, anyway, guys, everybody saw the reason for this podcast today, but the main reason we're doing this today is because it is a tribute to the man himself, TJ Weatherby. And anybody that's listened to any of my podcasts, whether it's the Wolfie D show or this one, they've heard many times over how much an important TJ was to me. So today is February 1st that they are hearing this. But the cool thing is, is this is actually celebrating his birthday, which he would have been 54 years old on February 5th. So it's pretty cool timing that we could get this done at this time, I think, guys. How y'all feeling about that? I think it's pretty awesome. I think he'd love it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I hope he would love it. And, I, you know, obviously, I would have loved to have had him on one of my shows. But, you know, the, the we're going to do a tribute for him because he's not here. That's the important part. So, so the reason I'm doing this, and to be honest, you know, I was working. To, you and I, Kevin, we met each other working for Porter. And we know how that went, right? It was basically do everything you can for his free. <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't. I don't know about you. He he tried to he tried to get me for free one time. I, I had to. Hey, hey, now you gonna pay me, buddy? Well, hey, <laughs> good for you, man. Good for you. Uh, I guess I didn't have the stroke. So. <laughs> well, I had I had been around a, a little bit longer, obviously. Right. But of course, I of mean, course, yeah, yeah. I believe in paying dues. Don't get me wrong, but. Uh, I mean, I. At that point, I'd been in a little while, so right, yeah, and that's that's I'm mostly ribbing you, but it's 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 oh, more yeah. of a rib on me, man, because I'm the one that paid the dues, and I did, and I do believe in paying dues. Everybody deserves to pay some dues, but your dad was sitting there at his normal spot, and the show was over, and I was walking outside, and he might have been waiting on you or something, and he pulls me to the side and he said, "Hey, Jimmy, come here," and I said, "What's up, man?" And he said, "You ever want to work on Friday nights?" And I'm like. Uh, I would love to, but what, what you got? And he was like, well, come out to Millersville at the sawmill and we'll get you booked out there. And man, that was important to me. That was so important to me because, you know, when he gave me that opportunity, that, that told me that I was a little bit better than what I'd kind of been feeling, you know? And I think TJ, if anything, he was there to see you. But I do feel like sometimes TJ would go to shows. Obviously, he would end up scouting some kind of talent, right? I mean, oh well, of course. <laughs> I mean, he, he obviously, yeah, he was, you know, there to watch me wrestle. That's one of his favorite things to do. Uh, yeah. You know, I never took that for granted. Uh, but yeah, like you said, he was. I mean, obviously, you're always looking for new talent when you're running a promotion. Yeah, Crow. What was his first promotion that he ran? TJ, he he was always saw, but uh, when TJ when I first met TJ, he was on the episode of Burt's North American Wrestling when Burt first kind of came to town and had the hat and he's 
and they were doing like a a uh, sponsor spot in the ring with the hackneys in the ring and uh and they were all standing there like statues except Wayne Jr. He goes, Hi and Bert introduced him. That's the first time I ever seen T J but then when T J first started uh working was when when uh Farron had the hackneys and they broke away from Bert and they were running New South Championship Wrestling in late ninety seven and that's when I first met TJ, and we just kind of hit it off since then. But TJ, Wayne Hackney had ran New South for about probably three, four months and finally shut it down. And then uh, about a year after that, TJ hooked up with Jeff Hargis at uh, Excalibur Gym and Madison Square Shopping Center, and he ran there until Jeff Hargis lost the lease or or just shut the gym down. But he was there probably for close to a year and a half, two years, I'd say. Gotcha. Okay. When TJ first started running Excalibur Gym, he was calling at New South Championship Wrestling. And then for some reason, him and Farron had a falling out over the name because I'm not sure why. I mean, they wasn't like into it or nothing, but Farron, Farron and him just had some kind of disagreement over the use of the name. So that's when he changed it to Southern All-Star Wrestling. So yeah. that would have been probably his first, second or third show he ever ran. Yeah, yeah. Now, we're doing things a little bit different because this is a tribute show to him, but we do want to, you know, we want to kind of treat it like similar to if if it's a normal show for us, you know what I mean? So, we want to kind of try to draw out a little bit of a timeline, and I appreciate that there. But normally, we start the show with the question that the Plastic Sheik asks. So, seeing that you two are together, maybe you all can help the Sheik answer this question. So, go ahead, Sheik. So, my, my question is always like, favorite wrestling? Like, what would like a Mount Rushmore of TJ's favorite wrestlers look like? Like, five or six wrestlers. Kevin, Cody, Hammerjack. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, personally, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything, but yeah, I mean, his kids. But, with, but outside of the family, you know, um, I know he loved beautiful Bobby Eden. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd know, say Ben and Steve never, would be on that list. Yeah, Wild boys, ben and Steve love it for sure. Yeah, uh, he thought the world of them. Yeah, um, you know that's a hard one. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, did he ever talk about like, oh man, I'd really like to be able to book this guy? Was there somebody that he wanted to book that he never got to book? Crawl, do you know anybody that? Uh, no, because I don't think TJ was kind of like me. He probably kept up with like mainstream wrestling, but he was, I think, really the love of the show was just kind of like his family and friends, yeah. like going out and doing something that was kind of like their picnic or going to a movie or something. Yeah. I, think, I mean, personally, yeah. I think that's why, you know, and then by the time his kids got in there and it was just a no brainer, hey, I, you know, love to see his kids grow and, and get better and, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, really, Bobby, the Wild Boys, and Kevin and Cody are all, that's an awesome list, man. I'm cool with that. Yeah, I'd yeah. say Farron, he was always real high on Farron. I'd say Farron and Tony Falk be on that list, too. Okay. Yeah. 
And you know, this is a guess, right? We're not, we're not obviously not able to pick the man's brain, but in our best, I mean, that's a good list. I think right there. Great list. Yeah. 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 So before he was, you know, promoting, did he come in at the same time, basically as a wrestler and a promoter? Was that kind of the deal? No, he was promoting before he was, Basically, you might as well say the same time because it's like as soon as he started promoting, it wasn't you know him and Chris were were training with. I believe Tony and Gypsy Joe were like training, yeah. training out there on a couple of times a week, and that's just kind of how they they got in it. They you know went to the school enough, and then you know started working. What year was that, Crawl? Uh, it had to be probably late '98. I would think early '99. How I'd old? How old, How old was you, that? Kevin during that time? Uh, you said, what year was it, Crow? About 98. 98, 90, 98 99 was. I, I'd have been eight, nine years old. Yes. Yeah, what are your memories around that time, man? Man, uh, for me personally, uh, you know, I have a lot of them. Uh, see, my parents were divorced, my mom and my dad. Right. And uh, so. Um, my mom never really liked me being around wrestling. Uh, gotcha. Funny. Gotcha. Um, but when I did, man, uh, is some of the greatest memories ever, uh, especially at the Excalibur Gym. Uh, I remember nights there, man, that place would be packed. And I'm yeah. in standing room only. And uh, it was just, that's what really made me fall in love with wrestling was just that atmosphere. No doubt. And, you know, the crowd and how they reacted and man it and then you see your dad come out wrestling and Yeah, dude. But he, he was a heel and um so that part was kinda weird to me because I take <laughs> yeah. it, it back. Now when Wayne was running New South he, he got introduced as as Farron and Tony's bodyguard of the original six things. So Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So Yeah, and so see him out there as a heel what they never smartened me up right so i was older yeah so you know as a kid i didn't you know most kids that grow up in the business they're smartened up at an early age i, I never got smartened up until i was older you know so yeah yeah uh, it was kind of a i mean it was it was a good experience so it kind of let me be a fan longer than you know i, I could have been smart at you know eight yeah. or nine years old but my dad didn't he let me be a fan I, i'm grateful for that because i love yeah. this business yeah 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 no doubt crow what do you remember about a young kevin around that time i remember him and cody running around there uh i don't know if kevin ever painted but when men billy started doing the clowns cody i had to paint like i got stuck one time tj had me painting i don't know if kevin was there for that but i was cody and some of his buddies i was like three or four of them i had to after I did my makeup, I had to go do their makeup in the concession stand. Yeah. So it took took a little while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, Excalibur was a good place, man. It was, you know, it was good location. You know, it was kind of like, uh, you know, it it was. I don't know. It was a different time because Bert and Porter on their TV show that they would flip flop. You know, Bert would have it a while, and Porter would have it a while. But Bert would have put on his TV. Don't be trained by used car salesman referencing TJ's profession or a grocery store clerk referring to Tony working at Alverson's grocery store. So we were doing something right to have Bert at the time, you know, take it, take a, you know, then they always would shit on, you know, uh, 
shit on it on commentary and stuff. Talk about, you know, yeah, no, this ain't wrestling in a strip mall. We're at the Mecca, you know, so they, right, right. They knew we were, you know, they knew we were competition because, like Kevin said, a lot of those Friday nights was packed. And then after the show, man, TJ and probably about 20 of us would go over to the, to the Shoney's that was in the same shopping center and hell, close that place down at one, two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the times right there, man. That, yeah. People don't understand yeah. about that nowadays. Like, dude, it was probably more than 20 or 30 of us, if I remember. Yeah. It was, we'd have that back party room in that Shoney's and we'd close that place down. But yeah. it was I mean, TJ big ribbon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, TJ had the scene down for the the places to go hang out and eat. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the favorite things to do was just go eat and be yeah. with friends. I think that was TJ's drive to promote. Yeah, he wanted to be a successful and respected promoter. But I think it just, you know, kind of like why I wanted to do the Troubadour shows, you know, be around and see people that, that you love and care about. Camaraderie, you know, right? Being you know, together. He, yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, because hell, you know, just like this week, Francisco Chiazzo passed away. You know, it's like, yeah, older you get, older you get, man. The more responsibility nails you down, and the less time we have together, and you know, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that's very sad. Rest in peace. Yeah. What um, what can y'all tell me about TJ's first match? You know, I don't remember his first match, but it would his first uh, probably the first four or five months he was going out like all the. All the little, you know, outlaw Luke, you might as well call it, like working for Terry England in Kentucky and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, going to Columbia or for, for Freddie or Mickey McKeel or Porter. But he was like just kind of getting groomed being uh, Farron and Tony. For, for a couple of years there, Farron and Tony were a tag team called the original, the sexy things or the original sexy things or whatever. But uh, TJ was for, for probably a good six months he was like their little, like their little bodyguard or whatever. And they, uh, they would go to Franklin and Farron would have like drag queen being their valet and Wayne Hackney being like their chauffeur. They would ride up there from Nashville in the limo. So it wasn't wow. just TJ show. They were kind of, yeah. you know, going around the little circuit. You might as well say with the same unit. Yeah. But, yeah. but I couldn't tell you, I mean, that's been so long ago. I couldn't tell you if I already, understand understand well so it, tj's younger days man do you know where he was born kevin uh yeah i mean he was born in nashville tennessee yeah um that's pretty much where he was born and raised and yeah um where he stayed really he moved out to hermitage uh i think he lived there uh, about nine or ten years yeah what about high school? Do you know where he went to high school? Uh, he went to Stratford High School. Okay, yeah. Yeah, of course. I know that one. Him, him and my wife actually went to Lytton one year. or two, You know, Lytton was a, a middle school back then in seventh, eighth grade, but she, ha- she used to have an annual that had TJ in it. She, they probably told everybody it was Larry Bird. <laughs> Larry Bird. <laughs> He did kind of look like Larry Bird, man. He <laughs> said, in his early years, he looked like Larry Bird. He had that curly, had that curly uh, hair, real long. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was one thing about my dad uh, when, you know, in his early years. Uh, people always tell me, uh, <laughs> he'd kill me if I tell people this, but he would pull up to a red light. 
take his hat off. He always wore like starter hats, you know, back in the day that starter with like, oh, the Nike. Oh yeah. That was the stuff, man. And, yeah. Uh, uh, so he pull up to the red light, take his starter hat off, take his comb out. And he had wings in the front, you know, he'd comb his wings and make sure they look good and put his hat nice. back on. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I love that. So how old was he when you were born, Kevin? Uh, I want to say he was like 20 or 21. Okay. I know my okay. mom was 19. I think he was two years older than her. So I think he should, I think he was 20. What year were you born, Kevin? He was, he was born in 70, so. Oh, yeah. I was born in 90. So, yeah, he's, he'd been 20. Yeah. Uh, 20 on the dot yeah okay well man you know Kevin you make me feel old now I, I graduated high school in 90 <laughs> oh god <laughs> I graduated so in 96 yeah oh man oh. oh man yeah well so I guess let's let's go to you know Southern All-Star so you, you said basically from the start he started the promotion with Southern All-Star was was Reno's Showtime was not happening yet right no, Reno was doing main event at that time. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then of course Southern All Star comes along and it's Saw and, and that's such a great name. I mean that's Yeah, saying, but Reno but uh best I remember T J never really referred to it as Saw. It was just Southern All Star. Okay. Then when when he opened back up T J ran Madison for a couple of years there and then the gym shut down, so he didn't pick up back running again until from a he shut down probably right around 2000, and then uh, it was like February of 07 when he started in Millersville and was there for eight years. So in between that is kind of uh, about 2002, Tony got a building in Madison for about two, a little over two years. So so for that, basically, after he lost the, building, the gym in Madison, he pretty much worked for Tony, him and Chris Baum as the bomb squad out there for a couple of years. Yeah. And then a few years after that, that's when he got the building in Millersville, <laughs> which yeah, okay. a funny thing, TJ used to live in Millersville before he started running. And it's like when he moved out of Millersville, then he winds up running. Millersville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how it works, man. But I love that sawmill, man. I mean, yeah, seriously, what a, what a magical little place that you can. The sawmill name, the sawmill name was coined by uh, Michael St. John. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's cool, man. So sawmill, you know, and, and obviously the sawmill that I worked in was probably much different than the early sawmill, but also I worked before you came along crawl and turned it into a little TV studio in there. But man, there was just something cool and magical about that place, man. When you could pack it out and you know, 150 people would pack it out easy and you, you would You know, you would have the back door open, and man, it was just such a little magical place. I can't imagine not knowing what's going on and driving by there every Friday night, just driving by it and being like, there's something crazy going on in there, man, because that that place has got a lot of cars. Everybody was full in that side parking lot. Man, great place. What do you remember first about the sawmill, Kevin? Uh about the sawmill first, man, it, it started off, everything was white inside. The whole building was uh, painted white. And we used, um, there was a guy that was my dad's friend. Uh, he worked at an office supply company, and we used uh, the cubicle dividers. We used yeah. that to block off the dressing room. 
Right, and right. And had two doors, one for the baby faces, one for the heels. And uh, uh, it was like a lot more space in there at first, but it just felt like there was too much space to one side. But yeah. it's still, like you said, a magic place at that time, even though we didn't have that beautiful setup. Uh, that did came, you, you know later. Kevin, did you know he had a building in Madison about a year or two before that, but uh, he never could run it? No, I didn't know that. Wow. All right, you know where the, you know where Gallatin Road and uh and uh oh here can Boulevard is. Yeah, yep. sure do. You yeah. know, you know where the Blockbuster Video used to be right there. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That little building that's right behind it, but facing Gallatin Road, it used to be a check cashing place in it. I think I do. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. up there. It was like in it. Yeah. All right. Behind that, in the same building, was a space that he rented because he took me and Ricky, and I don't think anybody knows this other than probably Tony Falk, but Ricky, he took me and Ricky Reynolds over there one weekend to look at this building, and basically behind the check in the cash place, it was a little building. It was, it was an empty building, had plenty of high ceilings, but it was only big enough to put a ring in and probably chairs on two sides but it had an upstairs to it where you'd have like a balcony and you probably could have put 80 people in this building and i mean you barely would have enough room to walk around the two sides of the ring so he 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 took me and ricky up there to look at it and then uh he he signed a lease on it and it was going to cost him a thousand a month to rent it and uh, he had a had somebody I'm not going to mention because I don't want to, you know, embarrass the guy. But he, a good friend of ours that was a manager, went in partners with him to to come up with the because they had to pay two grand on the lease the first and last month's rent. So your dad paid the first and last month's rent on that building, and then he told the guy he said the only thing we need is a handicap accessible bathrooms. So the guy put two handicap accessible bathrooms in it, but they were so big you wouldn't. But after they put the bathrooms in, there was no way to put a ring in this building. That's wow. how small it was. Wow. <laughs> and the bath thing too is like when you pull up to the side, there's a big billboard over it. So there was the only door he had to come in and out of, you would constantly have bird shit coming down on you. Oh, but, wow. but yes, that was probably maybe two or three years before the sawmill. So that was probably wow. around 04, 05, probably 05 or 06, I would think. But yeah, man. I, I knew he was looking for a building at that yeah. time. I just I didn't know he had one. He had one, but when they put the bathrooms in, they were a handicap accessible, but they were about half of the floor space of where the ring would have went. Yeah. So yeah. so your dad basically paid to have some bathrooms put in the building he couldn't use. So. Oh man! Oh man! Oh, yeah, man. I figured that'd be a good little story to tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And not one the, match was ever held there, ever. Not one. No, show. hell no. <laughs> no way you could get a ring in there. Right. But right. uh when your dad first got the sawmill, he took me up there to look at it and it looked like it was some kind of cabinet shop or something because there was like like dust and stuff all over the place and like right where the ring would go, there was like about a four foot uh air duct going down the middle of it. So it it really didn't look like a sawmill when, when the first time I seen it. But yeah, the the uh, the walls were white as could be. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. It could have been the saw mad, and that just wouldn't have sounded yeah. good, you know. But so. the reason it got the name the sawmill when we started doing 
the first couple of TV tapings we were doing there, Michael St. John was coming up from Arab, Alabama, and it was so hot in there on some of them summers because we started doing TV in June of 07, and it was so hot in there. He said, this is as hot as a sawmill. <laughs> so it just kind of clicked, and that, you know, that's where that came from. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And just like Mike, uh, I believe Jack Johnson was the one that was come up with the saw starts now on the opening of the TVs. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Crow, when did you and uh, TJ become friends? Uh, when he was running Excalibur Gym. When he, when, uh, so that would have been late 97 when Wayne was running Nashville on Thursday nights for about four months. And then after that, TJ, about probably within the next year, was running Excalibur Gym. The reason me and TJ become close, for some reason, we just hit it off. Tony would, was the booker. And, uh, when Tony would do Power Pro Wrestling for Randy Hales, they would do a Friday night show. And Tony would stay over and and do the TV. And uh, the, here's another funny story. Uh, <laughs> you know how you know how your dad would get like have a love hate relationship with like Farron or or Tony or me or whoever, Kevin. Yeah. How how they'd be into it, but not like be mad, kind of like you into it. <laughs> yeah. But uh. So when Tony would have to do a, a double shot for, for to go to Memphis and do a double shot, do a Friday night Arkansas town and then stay and do TV the next morning for Randy Hills, Tony would have everything wrote down and I would run the locker room. Well, that was the first time I ever had anything to do with finishes or any of that stuff. So TJ just, I guess, you know, he would get mad at Tony. Like if something went wrong or if TJ wanted to do something that, and Tony wasn't there for it, uh, he would like, he would, he would, he would throw up to me to, to, about Tony. He was like, I pay that son of a bitch more to come across the street than he gets paid to go to Memphis. <laughs> and I would laugh and giggle. And I tell TJ, I said, that's not true. Cause at the time, Tony lived across the street, but like maybe a mile down the road. <laughs> but cause Tony, when he would come back from, Memphis on Saturday afternoons, I grew up working in a little mom and pop grocery store and I was basically the man, the manager of the, the little grocery store on Saturday afternoons. And Tony would always stop by about two, three, four o'clock when he get back from Memphis to cash his check that Randy Hills would always pay him in a two party check. And he would come by and want me to cash it. And I would always get heat Monday morning when the owner's wife would do the book. She goes, well, who's cashing these two-party checks? <laughs> and Tony, and Tony's check was always 450 bucks. So, okay. Okay. So it was funny that TJ would always say that. And I would always smarten him up. I said, no, it ain't TJ. Cause I, he goes, no, no, no. I mean, he never would believe that. <laughs> you know, that's why Tony was doing it. Cause he was make, you know, there's no way he would make that kind of money working you know across the street but going down there he was doing a friday deal and a saturday tv yeah. and he was helping randy with the production in, and that's why he was making what he was making so yeah yeah well so the you know i kind of want to open up the floor here to open discussion but it, it one of the funny memories that i have about working for tj and crawl was i've got two okay so we've talked about one of them a lot but i want to start with this one because it's going to bring kevin in one time i was out there and we were working and i can't remember if i had just freshly so my everybody knows my story i did the omar 
Alcazan gimmick. Then I got some got on TV and Kroll just took it off of me like a dirty dog. No, I'm just kidding. And he, he, he got it. He I took the gimmick off and became Jimmy Street, and I was much happier. But as I was learning how to be Jimmy Street, I wasn't right where I needed to be. I couldn't figure it out. I'd hid behind the Omar Alcazan gimmick. I knew how that one worked. I didn't know how to be myself. So I go out there, and I'm Jimmy Street, and I cut a promo, and I, I can't remember if I was about to manage somebody or managing somebody. And I come to the back, and Kevin, I remember, Kevin, you're standing there, and you're like, brother, that was freaking horrible, man. <laughs> 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 and I was like, what do you mean? And you were like, you were like, dude, what did you even just say, man? That was garbage. And I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> and I was like, man, brother, you're, you're stiff, but it was, it was true. And now that I look back with some perspective on that, I do see what you're saying. It was like, at the time I wasn't ready to hear that. I wasn't, I wasn't good enough at that point, but it was so funny when you came back. I think you and I had built this rapport with one another, Kevin, to where I felt like you felt comfortable enough to say that to me. You know what I mean? Do you yeah, remember about that by chance? I, 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 I do, but I don't. I don't, I don't remember it like vividly, but I do kind of remember that happening. Uh, we had to build the rapport by then because normally yeah. I would not say that to anybody. But uh, <laughs> No, I mean, but honestly, it was good, I, man. I probably I could I'm real bad uh, like when I try to give somebody constructive uh, uh, criticism I don't know how to do it the right way and it comes off as I'm being an asshole and I kind of I I mean I kind of earned a reputation of being an asshole but (laughs) most of the time I really wasn't trying to be that I was just trying to be like hey man like you could probably do this better and right. no, you were helpful. It was helpful, man. It was. I'm not, this was not me bringing this up. I'm just saying this was, you know what I mean? This was, this was something that was helpful to me and I'll never forget it because, you know, a lot of people would just have let you do a bad promo. You know what I mean? They would, because it was a perspective of like, you go out there, you do your thing. If you suck, you just won't get booked as much. Right. But I'll come out there and do good. They're not thinking of the whole show. Right. But I felt like, when, when I got some perspective on it and it didn't take me long, you know, cause you were straight up and then you gave me oh, examples yeah. of how it was, could have been better. And I, and you were just like, man, what did you just say, dude? <laughs> and it was just the funny. Cause I, is, I, yeah. I'm, I'll be the first to admit, um, I was terrible at promos. Well, I, can, I mean, I could tell somebody like I could sit there and listen to a promo that somebody else is cutting and be like, well, he probably could have done this a little different. But as far as me cutting a promo, I just don't think I have that voice to cut a promo. I I, I never liked hearing myself on the mic. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, that's something I've had to get used to with these podcasts. But when it comes down to it, man, I it was just I thought I've never really turned around and thanked you. I might have thanked you at that time. But I've never had perspective on it to where I was like, you know what? He was right. He was on to something there. You know, he was looking out for me to do better. And that's kind of the way I took it. And that's the way I thought it should have been taken. You know what I mean? Well, cutting promos, you, you got you to gotta learn it. You just can't. Nobody, you know, even guys right. that can talk, you know, you got to feel comfortable in your own skin. You got to be believable in what you're saying. I mean, so it takes time to build your confidence more than anything. And, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it, that's, you know, the more, the, the more you do, the better you'll be, you know? Yeah. yeah. One guy that helped me, um, and unfortunately it was real late in my career, 
I worked in Franklin, Kentucky for a guy named James Carver, Christian yeah. James. And uh, yeah. one day, I used to want to cut promos, and I would always go to where, like, I was, like, screaming or, you know, raising my voice. Right. And uh, James, um, I thank him because, man, he was building me, uh, like, I mean, he was giving me the rub like no other at his promotion. And uh, he came to me one day, and he said, hey, try not to scream. He said, when I look at you, you know, you're not, I don't see you being that, that guy that's just screaming and raising your voice. He always told me like, just talk normal and then, you know, use your deep, you know, normal, low voice and try not to scream. Yeah. So he, really, yeah. he really brought out a good promo in me. Well, and you, you'd been working with Joe Carroll, Victor Van Glorious. I mean, y'all had a great team and I'll say this to anybody, man. I'll say this to anybody. Had you all been in a different position, I think both of y'all would have done great things together. And I, I thought it was a lot of fun that y'all had together. I even put over Joe. I told Joe that I said, man, you and Kevin as a team were incredible. I really, I, I had seven. I had Dyron. I've got Gout Flynn and I've got, you know, a few other guys. And, and I, but when I saw the combination of you, two together i was like man that was really good and joe was like man i never knew you felt that way i always thought you thought i was you were the best and i was like well no i didn't really think i was the best i'm he didn't mean that in a bad way either by the way he just said you Funny. know yeah. kevin in a free-hearted spirit kind of way how i see james carver do you who does he remind me who does he remind you of he kind of reminds me of my dad to be honest yep i've told him that several times yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, James, I, my boy, I love really him. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, definitely one of the boys. I'll always love James Carver. Uh, I wish I could have made it out there with them uh, the other night. They celebrated Frankie Chiazzo. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I just watched that that documentary on YouTube. By the way, if y'all haven't seen that, look up Journeyman on YouTube. It's on there. It's totally free. Go watch it. It's really good. James it's on has a Tubi big part. Too. I watched it on Tubi. Yeah, that's awesome. Not. Yeah, so go check it out on one of those for sure. But it's out there. Y'all should definitely check that out. When that came out, when that came out, we had a release party out in Hermitage at a real movie theater. So that was pretty cool for Frank. That is cool, man. Yeah, very yeah. cool. Um, uh, you brought up Victor Van Glorious. So I tell you a funny story. Please, uh, yeah. Well, kind of two funny stories. So the way Victor Van Glorious got brought in, uh, we was at Porter's actually. Mm -hmm. uh, when we were still working at Porter's, and I was always doing stupid stuff at that show because why not? That time, right? <laughs> I, yeah, why not? You know, right, uh, right. And at that time, I was just like, you know, it's freaking Porter's, and uh, so <laughs> I, I just did stupid stuff, and it, I would laugh because I I would purposely try to like get Porter like agitated, mm -hmm. and um, I was a I, like I said, I earned a reputation of being an asshole. Uh, but I was like joking in the locker room. I said, I'm going to go out there and I'm act like I'm a Kardashian and stuff. Yes, so yes. I did it. And, yeah. You know, it got over. And I was like, wow, like that got over. I'm going to try right. again. Well, yeah. that yeah. night, uh, Victor Van Glorious or Joe Carroll was sitting on the front row. Uh, let me tell you why, Kevin. Hold on just a second. Joe was there because he was friends with a guy I brought in to shoot video for the show. I knew a guy that did video, and I was like, you should come record our show. There's no money, but record the show. You can do with what the image. And Joe was there because of him. So anyway, go ahead. Sorry. So I have you to thank. 
<laughs> so, so for real though. Uh, so that night I went home uh, with my dad and I was brainstorming. We always would sit in my dad's kitchen at the kitchen table. It was like one of his favorite spots. And we would just laugh and cut up. But that night I brainstormed. I said, I need a lawyer. I said, and I need somebody that's going to fit the part and yeah. look the part. And, you know, I, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to do it right. And Joe's face just kept popping up in my head. And I was like, man, I ain't never done this before, but I hate taking people out of the crowd and bringing them into business. It's just right. not how I am. Right. But Joe looked so professional that night. He he stood apart from everybody in that crowd, obviously. And, yeah. uh, so I end up messaging him and getting him on. Man, my dad gave me so much crap for that. He's like, you're taking a guy sitting on the front row and you're bringing him in. I was like, I know, but I mean, he just looks the part. And then when we got together, you know, tell him, magic happened. You tell him that's because I'm a Kardashian. I can do that. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, but, uh, and then, you know, uh, my dad, I ended up bringing him to my dad's show. And the funny story I had, I don't know if you remember this, Crow, I'm sure you do. Uh, I had some fans messaging me, uh, all week long telling me they're going to shoot me with silly strings <laughs> when I come, you know, when I make my entrance. And I was like, okay. So, uh, I just let it go. But they just kept on and kept on. So I got in touch with Joe and I said, man, this is what's going on. I got an idea. So, of course, I'm at the show long before everybody. I hit a, a roll of firecrackers. I think it was like a 2,000-pack roll at the <laughs> corner by the entrance ramp. And I told Joe, I said, when they start spraying this silly string, you take off running. I'm going to roll underneath that ring, and I'm going to pop out with my lighter. I kept a lighter in my knee pad. Yeah. And uh, I knew it was going to happen. As soon as, it, as soon as they started spraying, I rolled out, got them firecrackers, and I popped out, and I slung them. And them some guns went off. It cleared the entire building. There <laughs> Joe standing there laughing. <laughs> I remember. I remember this. I mean, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face almost. And uh, me and Joe's just laughing. I mean, we can't stop laughing. My dad's cussing me. You stupid son of a What are you doing? You're ruining the show. Oh, I'm sure you was probably pissed off too. I remember that, but I don't know if I was there that night or if it was, or if I was. Oh, I remember that, uh, but I don't know. I don't remember me being there. Or I remember least, Hot Rod Biggs was there. Boy, he was like, I might have been. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish you could have seen the look on my dad's face. That was the one time, like, I never really made my dad mad, but that was the one time, boy, he was ready to come in there and he was going to beat my ass. <laughs> That's funny, man. Oh, my God. That's funny. So how would y'all compare TJ's as a promoter to others in the area, you know, like Bert and Tony and Porter? Uh, TJ was more of a, a grounded to reality. He wasn't one of these that was a carny that was, okay. that was how they were brought in and trained and not, not knocking anybody that is, but I mean, he was more like, like you, like people talk about Vince McMahon or uh, Paul Bosch, you know, you took him for his word or his like of, 
like a porter or a bird or somebody like that might have told you, yeah, Kevin, we're going to put you to the moon, but as soon as, you know, you do something that pisses them off or because they're, you know, they think you're cute or whatever, then they, you know, quit quit pushing you or whatever. If TJ told you something, unless the bottom just fell out of something out of his control, you know, you know, you could you could take it, take him for his word. Yeah, that's, that's cool. worth a lot, man. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. I remember when, you know, I was doing the Omar gimmick and, you know, TV was coming to saw and, you know, crawl, you pulled me to the side and you're like, brother, I think we're going to go with you, but we want to do something different. We're going to make you like a sports agent. You'll be Jimmy street. I loved it. I was cool with it. And And I remember I was, I was leaving, you know, TJ just wanted to test the water, I think, a little bit. And he was like, hey, Jimmy, come here. And, you know, he would always pull you to the side at that at the ticket table, and he would be like, uh, so uh, are you okay with that? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm fine. I think it's going to be fine. He was like, you sure? And I said, yes, sir. And that's that's all he needed to hear, and that's all I needed to say because at that point, you know, he, he knew that – he he didn't feel like he was just checking to see if I was okay with it. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's, just, you a, that's just the human being he is, you know. He yeah. wants, you know, if he gives a shit about you, he wants you happy, you know. Right, right. And obviously it was the right choice and I'm not, we're not going to rehash all this again, but it was the right choice and, and I'm glad it happened. And Oh, and, my gout. Oh. Yeah, your gout. Kevin, when did you start wrestling? I know you'd kind of been young and, and with your dad a promoter, you'd probably always been around it, but when did you officially start wrestling? Uh, well, um, I officially started wrestling in 2008, um, but I started refereeing a little bit before then. Uh, okay. At the okay. Tail, tail end of 2007. Uh, like I said, my parent, my mom, and my, uh, my dad was divorced. So I lived with my mom, actually, right up to, I lived about seven minutes up the road from the sawmill with okay. my mom. And she would, she was avid. You were not wrestling until you were done with high school. Yeah. So, um, I, I stayed true. She, when I came to her, I was like, look, um, I really just want to be a referee right now. I was only, uh, 17, I think. But, you know, I know I'm not real, I'm, almost out of high school i was graduating in the next few months yeah so she okayed that but um i started wrestling in 2008 yeah okay and who were you training with did you feel if you were to say hey these are my trainers who who would you consider your trainer i don't really have a single trainer obviously my dad um, right right he would run training classes up there and you know we do the whole deck of cards and you know do that and we'd bring guys in like gary Valiant. Uh, okay okay yeah um just a bunch of different hammerjack uh trying i mean that's a long time ago i'm trying to think all guys i mean a bunch of different guys but um all the guys that want to participate and get a little better yeah yeah Yeah. and then uh i did uh i did train um a little bit with kid cash and uh guys like that but honestly I started like in the ring, obviously as a young age at like 15, 16. And, okay. Uh, started doing moves and learning how to work with my dad, you know. Yeah. And actually teaching me how to work. And yeah. I really did more like on the fly training, like working with guys. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of a lot of my 
um, work was thanks to guys like uh, Tommy Heggie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tim, Tim Ernesto and yeah. uh, guys like that. I would go to Mount Pleasant, Tennessee and uh, work for Devin Domain uh, up there. And uh, Tommy Heggie, I, I partnered with his son and um, Corey Heggie. And um, I think he went, I think he goes by Corey Cruz or. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Homie D. <laughs> so, yeah. Homie D is what he was going by. Right. Corey Cruz. Uh, but me and him actually were roommates for a small time. And Tommy and Tim really took me under their wing with Corey and taught us how to actually work. That's awesome. And I can see that in your work, actually. It makes a lot of sense. Now, I will say, you know, Carl and I talk all the time on the phone. And one thing I will say is I feel like, you know, you really uh, probably out of everyone in your family, you love the business almost as much as anybody can. And that was always really evident to me with all the things that you were thinking of and things you wanted to do and stuff like that. And I always thought it was cool when you, you know, would come up with a new idea and you would really try it. You would push it like the Kardashian gimmick, like the thing with Joe, like when you and he and Chris and all y'all were together at Saul. But let's go way back here, Kevin. What, What was your very first match as a wrestler uh actually it was as a heel referee uh i had okay. been repping like i said and you know i was doing the heel ref heel ref and uh if i remember correctly it was against uh harold knight or uh it's actually Crow's nephew uh <laughs> harold knight and uh i don't know how he came up with that name i don't know <laughs> Harold. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Harold Knight. Wow, okay. And then, uh, LBK, the Lightning Bolt Kid. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And it was me. That's from Nesto Jr. to me. <laughs> yeah. LBK. Yeah, for sure. Good little, good little worker. I remember uh, sitting in a in a vehicle with you and him one time and being different when I got out. Let's just say that. But we'll go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I think it was Bad Boy Dixon. Um, was my partner, and we worked a yeah. tag match. It was probably god awful, but um, and I yeah. the funny part yeah. about it, everybody made <laughs> everybody uh, made fun of me because after I, that match, I wore my referee shirt, you know, gear because I had been. I think if I remember right, I think Cruel had either come out and fired me prior. Yeah, Cruel had fired me prior earlier I in the mean. night. And then uh, Bad Boy Dixon was needing a partner or something like that. And I come out and I cut a promo like, hey, you might have fired me as a ref, but you never fired me as a wrestler. So I'll be your partner. And that's <laughs> how it all transpired. Okay. It's crazy. I remember that. But. That's good, though. Yeah. TJ, it's been a long, hard road in this business that we love to hate and hate to love. But one thing about it, you were more than just a friend and a worker. You were more like a brother to everybody. It'll never be the same without you. But I can guarantee you we're all still here in your memory. And we will make sure that Saul goes on as long as we possibly can with the family's endorsement. We love you, brother. We'll never forget you. And I know you're in heaven now. 
with all the rest. Corsica Joe, Miss Sarah, everybody that loved you. Thank God for you, TJ. And thank you for everything that you did for wrestling here in Tennessee. That's right, it's the talk of Middle Tennessee, the channel you love to hate and the channel you hate to love. It's Brian Turner from Brian Turner's VHS Rehab. And if you're looking for matches from Wolfie D to Jerry Lawler to Dusty Rhodes and the team that put a pimp before your eyes and a goatee between your thighs, Booty Call and Athena, go to LostWrestling.com. See, I made it easy for you. Brian Turner's VHS Rehab. Booyah! Join me, Gene Jackson, for the Jackson Interaction Podcast, where I'll be doing one-on-one interviews with people from the world of professional wrestling, as well as stand-up comedy. You can get them anywhere podcasts are available in both video and audio form, but you can find them all at GeneJacksonPod.com. You know, Hammerjack, uh, professional wrestling is not a sport where you find many friends, and... I hate the reason that we're here, and you know why we're here, and I know why we're here, and all the fans at home know why we're here. And it's to pay tribute to someone that I proudly call my friend, someone I was proud to call my friend. When you talk about somebody who would literally give the shirt off of their back, and sometimes that term gets over-utilized, and people say it in jest, especially in moments like this. But TJ was a man who truly would give me the shirt off his back. If I needed something, he was a phone call away. When I wanted to wrestle, he was a phone call away. Anything I needed, he was there. I tried to be that kind of friend back to him, but I'll never be half the man that TJ Weatherby was. You know, I remember as I started wrestling business 16 years ago in the building of the the, uh, with the Excalibur gym, and uh, he ended up helping me with a lot of my training and stuff. Not that he had a lot himself at that time, you know what I mean? But he helped me quite a bit. And um, he refereed my, my first match, which was a, a, a barbar match. And he told me they're taking the ropes down. They're taking the ropes down right now, brother. Are you ready? And I was like, I'll never forget that. You're joking. You're joking. You're joking. And you know, he kept telling me, No, you better prepare yourself. There are no ropes. It's barbed wire. The ropes were barbed wire. And I, I, I thought it was a joke. He kept messing with me because that's the way TJ was. You know what I mean? And, and I remember walking up to the ring and and touching the barbed wire and seeing that it was legitimately real barbed wire and tinkling on myself just a little bit. You know, he never let that down, man. And that, that was always a joke between me and him. But uh, you were talking about finding friends in the business, and I, that's one one of the true friends that I found in the business. I found a brotherhood, not only him, but his whole family. You know Absolutely. I mean? The Weatherbees were always there. We've seen his children coming up, trying to follow in their father's footsteps. What a tremendous job. Boys, your daddy will be proud of you. He's always been proud of you. TJ, right. you really, truly were. One of my friends, and I'm proud that I can sit here and say that. I've been on the receiving end of some of those rights and some of those lefts and a couple of feet. Yeah. But uh, for 17 years, I was proud to call you my friend, and that's very, very rare in professional wrestling. And may God be with the family, and I know that he's down looking on us, man. It's all about. 
what do you remember your dad thinking about your first match? Do you remember the conversation y'all had after that? No, not really. Um, I mean, I don't remember him saying too much about it. I think he was just. He's probably thinking. He's probably thinking. Damn, I hope he don't get hurt or beat up too bad because his uh, mama be ringing my phone later. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's just more so like, you know, proud of me because, I mean, I'm his kid, you know, and he's watching me do something he loves and I love. And right. Kevin, did Cody start before you or did Cody start after you? I want to say Cody started a little bit before me because he was managing and stuff. That's what I thought. Um, yeah, he started a little bit before me because, like I said, my mom was not having it. <laughs> she's like no way sir yeah yeah well okay so you and cody man when did you all i mean how was y'all's relationship growing up mine and cody's yeah yeah oh hell is inseparable growing up man yeah uh, yeah like um i mean you i'll say this we never had a fist fight ever as a kid okay okay we never had that relationship. We were always very close, um, watched over each other. You know, we, we was always real tight knit. Yeah. That was, that was my whole family too, man. Like that's just how my family was when I was growing up. We was all tight knit and we, you know, for the most part, we all got along. Yeah, that's good. Was your dad, I mean, because I remember seeing your dad would come out and watch your match and always was very focused on that. Do you remember, like, some of the things that he told you going through? Like, you know, I would like to see this maybe a little more. Was he was he hands-on after that? I mean, how, how were things after that when you were going? Uh, honestly, he never really um, criticized my work. Yeah. Um, I think he just, viewed it as like any dad would with any kid in a sport i mean you know i played uh basketball and football in high school growing up uh, yeah yeah i was decent at both uh, pretty good football player but you know when i got into wrestling it's it like my dad still coming out to watch his little leaguer i guess gotcha. no that makes sense yeah yeah do you when you were able to work with cody especially in y'all's tag team how did you how much did you enjoy that it was probably pretty awesome right i love tagging with them i hate working them (laughs) 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 and i tell you why because every time we work each other we just we both would just stiff the living crap out of each other just because it we'd laugh about it and like oh okay you won't stiff me we're here take this (laughs) <laughs> you asked that one time uh i don't know if you know him jimmy but build the shields uh i know of him yeah brought, you, i don't know you remember him a little bit uh, a little bit yeah so uh he was running a show out in pulaski tennessee and he wanted um me and lbk to work uh cody and this guy named Stephen Green. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, he said, he's like, I want you to work in a Bob Wire Cage weapons match. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, hell to the note. <laughs> 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 I, I, I ain't knocking nobody, but I ain't about that death match stuff. I just, right. it ain't my forte, right. you know? Right, right. And uh, so Bill DeShields brought us out there to work. 
And my dad, the whole time, he's like, oh, Bill's fresh on you, ain't he? I was like, no, he ain't fresh on me because I ain't the one that got us the booking. <laughs> I said, I ain't the one that got us the booking. Actually, Cody and Steven got the booking for us. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so then he started bugging him. But uh, we went out there and uh, me and LBK were the heels. And, man, we get out there working and this Bob wire ring, he had like one by ones barely standing up on the ring. I don't know how the thing didn't fall and hit the crowd. The least amount of bob wire you can think of wrapped around it. But of course, my brother found a piece and was sitting there trying to dig it in my head at the very beginning. I said, screw you. I'm going to dig it in your head. And we just kept yep. fighting back and forth the whole match, trying to stab <laughs> each other with bob wire. Good work, guys. <laughs> yeah. But uh, as far as tagging, man... I love tagging with him. We we uh could do tag moves. We had a like uh you know certain repertoire of tag moves. I'm like, all right, what are we going to use tonight? We'd set it up, and we didn't even have to talk to each other. We just knew, all right, we're going to use this move, or if we need to change on the fly. He knew what I was setting up for. Like we was in sync with each other. Yeah, that's awesome. TJ commanded as a promoter. When we did one of those tribute shows after he passed, Brian Lee took the pin for y'all in that match where they put him and Connery put y'all over for the tag belts. Yeah, yeah, he that, did. And that that guy, don't he ain't going to lay down for just anybody. That was done out of respect for his dad. I, I, yeah. I remember that. And, uh, yeah. man, I, I would always – tell people i don't care if i win or lose like i'm just here to have fun i love this thing but things like that like curl said that's out of respect and i'll never forget those little gestures you know if we're going to talk about tj we need to talk about him and chris during the when they were tagging as the bomb squad because uh, yeah please the chris bomb the bomb squad did you ever see, did you ever hear that rap song that tj's bro- other brother wrote for, for the bomb squad Jim? I did, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was it. Was one of those that gets stuck in your head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> man, it did too. It's still around. Like I, uh, every time we go over there, I hear it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it's on YouTube if you want to look it up. Uh, I don't okay, know it's one of the first videos I put on YouTube back in the seven. Yeah, I will get we used that. Used to play it on USWO TV about every week. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll play it right here. I hated it. (laughs) Terrence James and Chris Bomb, the Bomb Squad! Bomb Squad! Bomb Squad! Terrence James and Chris Bomb, the Bomb Squad! Bomb Squad! Be the next tag team champ. So, boy, you really need to stop and think. 
Look at the record, we at the top of the rank. We coming through bad like two pans of tank. So when you see Chris by McTerrence Dane, when you step in the ring, you're gonna feel a pain. Tell you right now, wrestling is their game. Being flowing all these years through their veins. When they pull you out of the ring, it won't be the same. Coming from Big Daddy, I, I told you, man. Terry James and Chris Bomb, the Bomb Squad. Bomb Squad, Bomb Squad. Terry James and Chris Bomb, the Bomb Squad. Bomb Squad, Bomb Squad. Terry James and Chris Bomb, the Bomb Squad. Bomb Squad, Bomb Squad. What but Chris and TJ were a good little team. Chris, Chris Baum had that natural charisma, man. Only, only thing bad I can say about Chris Baum as a worker, he would just whatever his personal reasons or or whatever, he would just up and disappear for a while, and then he'd pop back up when he was ready to wrestle again. But other than that, man, they were like for three or four years between uh, the Excalibur years and the USWO couple of years there in Madison for about five years, they were, they were the team. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's what me and Cody grew up and that's what we want it to be. And, uh, that team, it was over like Rover anywhere he went. They were that they was the top tag team baby faces. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, when did they put that tag team together? Probably about, uh, probably three, four. When TJ first started running Excalibur, they, he pretty much turned babyface after his run with Farron and uh, and uh, Tony was over, and then uh, he turned babyface. And I guess after Chris got trained and brought in, they they just started teaming from the from the get go. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I remember. Uh, was there a time that they imitated PG thirteen one night or something? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I don't see TJ wrestling. They all they were the first team that that had the camouflage. Right, even right. you know, probably before the Dudleys, I'd say yeah. too. Chris posts on our, our Wolfie D podcast YouTube, and he'll ask what Wolfie's thoughts are about two guys imitating PG thirteen. So, <laughs> so I don't well, know. That's, what, that's a lot of them. That would be John Cena. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's hard to tell, right? So. Yeah, but now uh, Chris and TJ always had like the SWAT team gear with the camouflage pants and yeah, like the the boots and then you know this that was kind of their gimmick yeah that makes yeah. sense yeah. i, I want to say they went to freedman's if you remember that place it's actually yeah. going out of business uh and got i mean they had all colors they had the purple the red uh the maroon the orange and yellow black and white blue i mean every color of the camouflage pants they made they had. Tell you the news, but there was other than tj's kids there was other people trying to do the the bomb squad camouflage look. So they were kind of a trendsetter with that around here at least. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, okay. So I would just love to hear some funny stories, you know, about TJ. Is there something that pops up that makes you laugh every I, time you think of it? I, I can tell you one that's not wrestling related that about got my ass beat one time in the middle of Walmart. Okay. <laughs> I'd love it. Yeah. Uh, so, my dad, I don't know what, he, he was like a night owl. He used to stay up all night. One night I was at his house, and uh, back when Walmart was cool, and they stayed up in 24 hours, and he's like, come on, y'all want to take a trip to Walmart? And I was like, yeah, come on. It was probably about 2 o'clock in the morning. So you know nobody's there. They're stocking the shelves, and uh, we're walking through, and 
I get this from my dad. He's a big river too, so I was always ribbing somebody. <laughs> and they're over stocking the shelves. Well, I picked this empty box up, and I see that nobody sees me. And there's probably about eight of us. Uh, just I don't even know what we were doing. They were just walking around, doing nothing. Yeah. And uh, well, I take that back. My dad used to love the grocery shop at that time because he didn't have to deal with the crowds. Yeah. So that's probably what we was doing. So I grabbed that box and I slung it as high as I could, and I just kept walking. Well, it come down. It hit him in the head. Oh man. He never <laughs> he never seen me do it, and he's walking around. I mean, loud cussing, going off. Who in the threw that box? Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah. So he walked around to the next aisle and he sees a worker there. He's like, Did you throw that box over? And they kind of look at him. He's like, I'm sorry. He walks over. He sees somebody else. He asks them. He's like, oh, okay. Well, then he comes around the corner and he sees me laughing. He says, Put me here right now. And he's like, <laughs> you know, my dad, he gripped them teeth and tell you, he had talked to his teeth. He said, Come here. And I was like, Oh, I ain't coming over. I mean, I was probably 18, 19 at this time. I was older so i was smart enough not to go over there <laughs> but boy it made him so mad he, and everybody there was once we told him what happened he was a rolling yeah man i'm gonna beat your ass <laughs> <laughs> could you have hit him if you were aiming at him other than that though it was perfect right i mean literally oh man i, yeah. I didn't even i wasn't aiming for him right exactly it up yeah. <laughs> it was funny. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's funny. He, I can see it happening. Jokester. Yeah. There's pictures yeah. somewhere. Uh, I forget where we were. I want to say it was at that Shoney's maybe, but he was sitting around in a restaurant, and he's got on somebody's motorcycle helmet. That was, at the, T- that was at the TA on uh, beside the stadium. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly where it was. They tore that down. Uh, yeah. 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 He had some, something in his teeth looking all funny. and I mean, that's just what kind of person he was. He was always being funny. Yeah, that's funny. I got, I got Cersei and TJ going to some of these auctions with me and my wife. And uh, TJ and Cersei, we were going to this one in Adams. It was a pretty good auction. And they would buy all kind of shit up there. I've seen Cersei and your dad spend seven, eight, nine hundred dollars up there on just a bunch of different shit. And uh, a rib you a rib your dad used to do to Cersei is he would like Cersei would sit there and almost go to sleep. Sometimes he would get Cersei. They'd give you a number and put it on like a little fan, like a little, you know, you have a little fan. You just hold your number up. Well, Cersei would, if your dad could jack Cersei's number without him seeing it, he wouldn't bid on shit, just random shit, you know, nothing real expensive, but just random dumb shit. You wouldn't buy like women's makeup or something like that. You know, it's just general merchandise. Right. <laughs> so Mike would try to do it to him when either one of them would go to the bathroom, and then another another rib your dad would do to Cersei not to not to cause him to spend a lot of money, but like if Mike really wanted something, he would like bid like if he was sitting behind him where he couldn't really see him, TJ would bid against him just to hit him, get him to run the the money up a little bit. <laughs> Oh man, that's funny. Oh man, yeah. I'll tell you a baboo. I'll tell you a baboo story real quick. Yeah. Back in the day, everybody had like a little voicemail hotline that you could leave the card on, and people could leave a message. You'd get have like a two minute message. You you call it, and TJ's was 
615, I mean, 615-664-2388 or 1669. Because him and Tony had the same number for years there. But uh, Babu was bad about calling it like after the show. Like if Babu didn't go to the show because Babu strips floors and works a lot of nights. So if he couldn't go to the show, he would be calling the hotline wanting to know what the main event is. Well, TJ told me, me and TJ would go eat a lot Saturday afternoons or Saturday mornings after the show sometimes. And we was at, uh, we were somewhere eating Saturday morning. He said, you ain't going to believe this shit. About two th- thirty, three o'clock in the morning, my phone rings and it's like damn Babu. And he goes, who the main event? Who the main event? He goes, I cussed him. Your dad claims he cussed him so much that Babu just eventually finally hung up after about a minute of getting cussed. But Babu does Reno that way. He'll do anybody that way. So if you don't if you don't want to get pastured by Babu, don't let him get your personal number. Because <laughs> TJ evidently didn't update the hotline probably the next morning. Who the main event? Who the main event? Who the main event? Hey, TJ, who the main event? <laughs> I can I see him in that. here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I believe that. Who the main event? Um. My dad, he he always has. I mean, I can't tell you how many friends my dad had. Yeah. But, uh, he had this um, war veteran. Uh, his name was Gerald, and we would always go night fishing out there in Mount Juliet. And Gerald, he didn't have no legs. Uh, I don't know. I want to say it was like diabetic related after the war or whatever. Uh, but him and Gerald would go out to eat, and he would do this to everybody he'd go out to eat with. But it was funny with Gerald. Because Gerald ain't got no legs, and Gerald being in a wheelchair pushed underneath the table. And the waitress would come over, and my dad would be like, Ma'am, can you tell him to stop? And uh, that waitress kind of look at him and not really pay him no attention. Well, then she'd come back, and Gerald would say, Ma'am, would you tell him to quit playing on my legs? And <laughs> every, every time they would, like, you know, they know they're playing. But then when they catch on and see Gerald ain't got no legs, they didn't know how to take it or respond. They didn't want to offend him, but sure, it was just, yeah, yeah, and they just bust out laughing. And so I remember one time waitress was laughing. She never came back to our table. She sent somebody else out. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I <ain't> kidding. <laughs> oh man! So so I know that you didn't always work with TJ, right, Crow? When did you all start working officially together? Uh, probably the Excalibur Gym days. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember, you, were you not you there for a while? You didn't work with him though, right? You were working with somebody else for a while. Uh, you talking about during the sawmill days? Right. When right. He, when uh uh. When TJ got that building in 07, he took me out there. I was still booking and helping Tony at the stadium in on Friday nights and doing our TV. And I had ran, uh, I wanted to run the fairgrounds Christmas night because my wife had a settlement and I, and I always wanted to try to, you know, you know, take a gamble and see what we could draw on a bigger scale. So I ran Christmas night of 06 at the fairgrounds and, and uh, we had to involve it. Build the Shields is the ATL, so we had like forty fucking guys on the show. It was a good show, but uh, uh, I pretty much did everything on the show. The day of Christmas, I was out there from ten o'clock, and Tony shows up like thirty minutes before we're opening the doors, and I'm like, 
you know, I've done done all this and shit, and me and Reno had done kind of hooked up and was trying to find somewhere we could do something, some kind of TV, and, you know, Tony just was always the type of, you know, he wants to help, but he don't want, you know, he'll, he'll think you're going to book a million guys and he's going to lose money and stuff instead of trying to build something. So basically after that Christmas show, I just was kind of burnt with, uh, what, uh, Tony and I were doing just kind of, you know, been there since like 2001 doing that. So five, six years there. And, uh, just kind of wanted to, you know, up, up my game some. And TJ was at that time, TJ had been running out there for about three or four, probably three months, maybe. And uh, he had a. Uh, this is where I got heat with Charman Charles because he had Charman Charles. I guess when he first started, kind of like running the locker room. But what Charman Charles don't understand is that TJ was consulting everything they were doing through me because <laughs> TJ was. I mean, TJ was that tight. You know, he would he would confide in me what 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 I would do or what he should do or who he should use or what this that and the other. Not that I was booking the show. It was just he would say. Hey, we got this guy. What do you, you know? And I'd give him my opinion on it. Whatever they did is what they did. So, you know, I'm the one that put Reno and, and TJ together. They never were good friends, but, you know, it, it just, it just worked. You know, it put an influx of talent and money in the TJ show that elevated his game. So when we first come to Millersville in May of 07, we were run we were doing Sunday tapings and TJ was still running on Fridays. Well, we, you know, after a couple of months of doing the Sunday tapings, it just kind of, you know, we it was hard to get people in there. And at that time, TJ was struggling a little bit trying to draw. So we just kind of married the two things together because TJ was actually running Saturday nights. And I told him, I said, TJ, you need to go to Fridays, even though Tony was running Fridays, you know. So we married the two things together and started running Fridays. And it was, you know, sky's the limit. But, uh, that's when I actually started booking for TJ in Millersville. And then, uh, up until him and Reno kind of, I was, it was pretty much Reno, me and Paul booking the show, but like Reno and them would only come in like every other week. So basically about every other Friday, it would be like TJ's regular crew plus, you know, six or eight more guys from Reno and what helped, uh, TJ on that aspect that TJ benefited from is whenever Reno come in and did TV, it would be TJ show, but TJ would get all the, the door, but Reno would pay half the cost of the talent. So if TJ's payroll was 700 bucks, TJ's expense would only be 350. So that's how he benefited from having Reno out there. Gotcha. But, uh, okay. But, uh, uh, after, after a while, I just took some time off from doing shows. I don't really remember why, but uh, about, about that time, Reno and, and Paul was real hard to get along with. He was good at what he could do when he was focused and, and you know, but him and TJ and Reno never got along. Gotcha. So I was kind of that buffer. And when I was, when I stepped away for a little while, I was still involved, but I was just not going every week to the show and stuff. You know, they just, you know, Reno and them just made plans and just went elsewhere. So that's when the, there was two different saws there, but I was yeah. still helping TJ. And then, uh, I got to the point where I was tired of doing the TV and stuff. So I just, I, that's when I found out I had diabetes and I was in the, in the hosp- hospital for about a week. 
because I had had that and a, an infection. I had a real bad cellulitis infection. I was in the hospital for like 11 days. Mm. And I just, you know, was kind of just worried about my health and shit mainly. So I just stepped away and kind of took took a while. And uh, for about a year there, that's when the Marcus Pastorius's and all those goofs were out there right. trying to help TJ or whatever the, or whatever they were doing. I just think they were just, you know, trying to take advantage of them. But, but then in September of 2012 was when I came back and we really, really rocked that mother until TJ passed away. Yeah. Well, this is a listener question I'm going to ask you, and I've told you I was going to ask you this, but this actually came through on the Wolfie D podcast, but you're, Wolfie's not the guy to answer this. You know, you are the one to answer this. So Kyle Vaughn from Facebook asked this question. He says, how was Saul able to stay afloat so long? They mainly ran in Millersville in a building that set 100 people at best, and I feel like I'm being generous. They always brought in solid talent. I think the local fans took that promotion for granted. To me, Saul was the last great local promotion we had so anyway uh, i'll tell you the reason it grew like it did is because tj had good friends that he could depend on to prop him up not saying that he couldn't do it on his own but he had me and at the end he had mike cersei had reno riggins and even paul adams i mean it takes a team to run a promotion right you know and I was kind of the glue that brought all that together because, like I said, Reno and Paul never really got along with TJ, you know, because they butted heads on, you know, just, you know, little silly shit for, you know, just show related. But, you know, like I, like I just said, the deal with uh, TJ and Reno, when Reno would come in and tape every other Friday, he would pay half the cost of the talent. So, you know, that's, and and basically, you know, the thing that benefited TJ from having Reno and me there doing TV is it brought it, it brought a quality talent on top of the good talent he already had, and plus at half the the cost of what it would have cost TJ to run. You know, because like when you got Kid Cash and a lot of guys like that, Chase and you know the Rob Conways and all the the high dollar talent. You know, you go from like a five six hundred dollar payroll to twelve fifteen hundred dollar payroll easily. Yeah. Okay. You know? Gotcha. Yeah. No, that makes sense. You know, but yeah, yeah for makes- about for about three years there, Saul was was an unbeatable. You know, I mean, from top to bottom, it was it was about as polished as it ever was going to be. And yeah. then when when I when I went back on my own with TJ, just in, from 2012 until he passed away, up until we shut it down in March of uh, of uh, 2015. So for the last three years we were there, I think, was probably some of the best stuff we done because I went back in there and redid all the lights and, and added a bunch of stuff to it. And I think it's the best it looked on TV the last three years we were there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it looked great. It looked great. I'll I tell you another reason I think it stayed along so well and it drew so well, uh, not to take away from Rick Krolsek, because everything he said, I, I would have 100% said it takes a solid team you know working that production to make that show work yeah but i mean my dad wasn't afraid to get out and do the groundwork i remember several times we'd be out in you know the rivergate area uh just the surrounding area of millersville flyering cars yeah you know, yeah and promoting he knew how that old school to you know mentality to get out and promote we especially on them big shows we had, we'd definitely be out there. 
I remember getting ran off several times by like mall security and stuff. Hey, hey, we just hurry up and fly her and get out of there. Yeah. You know, another thing that probably was good about TJ, but probably hurt him in a way too, is, you know, like your little mom and pop stores growing up, they would let people have a charge account, you know, to charge stuff until they got paid. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yep. TJ did that with certain people too. If they couldn't afford to come to the show, he'd be like, "Why didn't you get the show? Oh, we couldn't. Well, come on in." You know, he yeah. would let people charge or give them deals and stuff. And then when they owed you money, they would, you know. So that was a double edged sword for him. But you gotta, you gotta give it to him. You know, he would, he would do whatever he could to, you know, accommodate people and make them want to come. You know. Oh yeah. Well, gee, speaking of chicken hat too, you know, like he. Cared a lot about that guy, you know. So. Yeah, when Chick your dad actually cried to be on the phone when Chicken Hat's mom passed away to make sure he had a place to go after Chicken Hat's mom passed away. He, you know, he was willing to take him in. That's the kind of person your dad was too, Kevin. Yeah, that's huge. Oh yeah, I mean, look, he took care of Chris Garrett for how long? Yeah, but I don't, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know if anybody knows that story, but. Here's a funny story about uh, Chris Garrett with Reno. Reno's Reno and his dad own a body shop in West Nashville. Has been over probably going on 45 years, and uh, they let Reno's dad is kind of like TJ. He let like some of the people that in the neighborhood, like that they know, you know, come over there and sweep up or help out, and then you know, let some of them. They let people live there from time to time in like their office. Wow. And, and uh, Chris Garrett was one of them. Like in between some of the times that Chris would piss TJ off, TJ would run him off and he would always take him back in, of course. But like one of the times he was staying over at Reno's shop, sweeping up and stuff. And here's how Chris Garrett is to deal with. He told, he got into it with Reno's dad over something and he told Reno's dad, he said, just drop dead, old man. Wow. So, so Reno told him, said, you, you, you got to go. You yeah. know, so that's how Chris was. Chris was a good dude. He just, you know, he just, I don't know, had that trigger in him. He just would go off over nothing and, you know, start shit. <laughs> Man, yeah. <laughs> that's the brutal. The thing was, uh, my dad lived across from a Thornton's, and he'd always go over and try to get sweet tea, and it'd always either be sour or they'd be out. Boy, they'd almost call the cops on him. He'd go off so bad. Man, <laughs> <laughs> my dad always made sure he was taken care of. Either even when he did run them off, he would. I know when my dad would still call around, make sure, like especially like during cold months and stuff, that he had a place, you know, to lay his head and he was warm. Yeah, man, that shows you what kind of guy TJ was. And if that, and if you don't know, listeners out there, if you didn't know TJ, that's an example of why we're doing this show. I'm not so, going to say who, but there was a. A mutual friend of mine and TJ's that was a wrestler that was getting in the, that was uh before he got divorced his wife was cheating on him with a with a a cop and uh TJ had said person in a minivan and they were following him they followed him and busted him in a Nashville park like at late at night and they they had uh caught wind that they were following him and this guy was off duty cop in his personal vehicle. So TJ <laughs> takes off down Dickerson road from Madison and goes all the way to the, to the jail downtown doing a hundred miles an hour down Dickerson road on the phone with the cops 
telling the cops what the situation is. And the cops are on the phone are telling him to pull over. And he's like, fuck you. So TJ gets all the way downtown and pulls up. And there's cops, you know, people out there that can witness, you know, because he didn't, you don't want to trust something like that in the situation. But my moral of the story is this is how TJ went out on the limb to help a friend find his wife cheating on him. Man. <laughs> so the thing wound up where they were, when the cop, the off duty cop got down there behind him, they were like trying to gang up on him. And your dad bowed up and like he's going to make a scene, you know, because the guy was exposed in, uh, and like the newspapers and shit for doing uh, a lot of crooked shit with like these uh, escort services and the, where people, the swingers clubs and stuff. So the guy w- wasn't a cop much stronger after this, but, uh, your dad was smart enough to, to to get loud and vocal to make a scene and bring enough cops out there and attention where it, it just kind of like, okay, Mr. Weatherby, you're free to go, go. And the whole time this was going on, our unnamed buddy was sitting in the back of the car. And I don't think to this day his ex-wife knows that he was actually in the car with, with TJ. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. That's but my point is... Not to try to embarrass said person, but that's the kind of person TJ was to put himself on the chopping block doing 100 miles an hour in the middle of the night down Dickerson Road to help his friend out. There you go, man. <laughs> if y'all needed any reason to know why we're doing this podcast, that's the one yeah. right there, man. That's the dude. So, you know, when when I remember him, I, I remember, you know, there was some health illness, health issues coming up. Talk about that. When did his health issues start? Honestly, uh, that's a hard question to ask because, to be honest with you, he hid. Um, yep, even for me. Lot, yeah, he hid a lot of his health issues from everybody. Yeah. Um, I knew he had, like, C- COPD. And I knew he had the gout. And uh, I knew he had congestive heart failure. But I didn't know the true extent of his health issues until um, – two weeks before he died when he went in the hospital uh we had to call the ambulance and um that's when i found out the true extent that he actually had uh lung cancer man and i remember that you know if you ever wanted to see some of the best names and local talent you could come to his hospital room you know what i mean and i remember coming up there one time and it was a who's who of the people there and you know there were guys that were staying vigil with them basically and i know crawl i know you kevin i know everybody that was up there i mean it was everybody i i think when it found when we found out it was something serious that's when people were really starting to realize like what was going on you know so, it was always at least 10, 15 people up there, if not more. Yeah. We always had that whole entire uh, waiting area, almost pretty much. Everybody was, you know, I was up there. And I, I tell you, I knew it was serious because um, my dad, he never went to doctors, ever. He yeah. did not like going. Yeah. And um, that day we called the ambulance. He had, he was supposed to be on oxygen 24 7. Uh, he, Got up from the couch and was like, I'm going to run to the restroom. Uh, so he took his oxygen off to go to the restroom. And I didn't think nothing about it. I'm watching TV in the living room. I hear a big thud. And Cody was in the back bedroom shaving. and uh, Or in the back uh, bathroom. There was two bathrooms. And uh, I hear a loud thud. And as soon as I heard it, I knew what it was. I jumped up. And, you know, we got him to come to um 
And I was like, Daddy, you got to go to the hospital. Like, we, I'm taking you. I don't yeah. care what you say, but I'm taking you. And um, he said, well, all right, all right, I'll go. And he got up in the chair, and uh, he started trying to get dressed. And he started trying to put his socks on, and he was almost in tears. And he looked at me, and uh, he said, I, I can't I can't do it. You, you're going to call him. And at that yeah. point, I knew this is bad because he would never say that. Yeah, yeah. But that's honestly the last time I seen my dad conscious. Uh, he was in a coma for two weeks, and I think it was two weeks to the day, and he passed away. Yeah, because the last time I talked to him was, I think you were there was after that that big that last show we had with the mayor, and I I took him uh, some stuff over, there and he because he had made so much money that night, he didn't want to. Because me and Cersei paid for Kojima, you know, out of the meet and greet money, and uh, he wanted to settle up with me after the show, and he kept like trying to hint around, and you know, I was I was just tickled. That he finally had an off, you know, because other than him being his last show, that was a, probably one of the ma most magical nights in my wrestling career. But, uh, you know, I was I was having fun with him, like, what? How many, you know, just kind of jabbing him, like, how many? What? You know, just trying to get in. And he didn't want to say nothing in front of everybody. He's like, well, can you come by the house tomorrow? I said, yeah. Remember, I came by there and then and him settled up. And, uh, yeah. Because later, later on that day, was when Cersei flew to Vegas for the NWA stuff out there. And Nick Nitrous had texted me like the, the day before we come back, which was Tuesday, and told me he was in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. as soon as Miss Cersei flew back at Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, we, we got back to Nashville probably about 6 or 7 Thursday morning. We both went home got a shower and everything and went straight out there. And then t like two weeks later to almost to the day, he was boom, he was gone. Yeah. Yeah. But the whole time he was in the hospital, I'd never remember him come being conscious or anything. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. Was, he never came conscious once he was in the hospital for two weeks. He, they put him in a medically induced coma. Um, and see, my dad technically never remarried. So I was the eldest son, so they had to call me in. And, uh, you know, I wasn't going to do it without the rest of the family. So we all sat in there, and the doctor talked to us. He's like, well, uh, you know, Mr. Weatherby just ain't taking my advice. He ain't taking care of himself. His cancer's getting worse. And I was like, whoa, what? Uh oh, cancer? And uh, he said, you know, his heart can't take it no more. And uh, he, he won't quit smoking. He's you know, still eating bad. So there's really nothing else I can do. And we just kind of knew that was, you know, say our goodbyes. He never came out of that medically induced coma. And he died at like 6 or 6.30 uh, on a, I think it was a Wednesday morning, uh, two weeks after that. Mm. So guys, what would you all say that uh, TJ's legacy to the business in Middle Tennessee would be? Uh, to the boys, I don't think it's one that would could... About like they say about Bobby Eaton, everybody loved him. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I couldn't think of one person that had something against him. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I will say this. I'm so blessed because everywhere I go, or, well, you know, I don't wrestle no more. But when I did wrestle, everywhere I'd go, there was at least a couple people in the locker room just come over and hug me. How you doing, brother? Man, I loved your dad. Uh, that was one thing. 
when I was working for Tried and True, uh, you know, they had some big productions going on in Clarksville, and uh, and I was the bottom guy there. I was just happy to be there and trying to, you know, I was working with all these guys like uh, Dexter Loomis. Was, uh, he was going by Samuel Shaw. You know, he was on that show. Yeah. I was just fortunate. I knew I was just blessed enough to be on the card. And uh, but uh, I remember um, Josephus called me over one day. And uh, my dad thought the world of Josephus and I always respected Josephus. Um, and he called me over one day and he introduced me um, to, uh, oh, what's the guy that owns NWA now? Uh, Billy Corgan. Corgan. Yeah, Billy Corgan. I don't know why I couldn't think of his name. I kept wanting to call him Patrick. But uh, but Billy Corgan. Uh, That's his middle name, him. Patrick. Yeah, yeah. He introduced me to him in the in the locker room. He's like, "Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby." He's like, uh, "His dad was a real, real good promoter, and uh, everybody thought a lot of him." He's like, oh, "I loved your dad." He's like, "Your dad was awesome." For him yeah. to put me over to somebody like that, I was just like, "Wow!" Like, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. still to this day, everybody, every locker room I'm in, like I'll visit a show once in a very blue moon, and you know, guys still tell me how much they love my dad yeah yeah i think that's the general consensus and i mean it was such a natural to to want to do this show and to want to you know give a tribute because i mean i don't have a lot of ways to make a tribute to somebody and but i i do have this way and and you know when i when i say how much the guy meant to me it's like yes that's true he did mean a lot but man it's kind of a representation of how everybody feels you know what i mean and that was just one thing that whenever tj i always felt like tj and and may, and this may be not anything special about me as a, as a performer but i always felt like tj gave a shit you know what i mean like yeah. and that was the, that was the thing I, I felt like most about him was whether or not you know, it was anything to do with what I was doing. It was more about he just was a good dude and he cared, you know. Well, that's what that's why after TJ passed, I tried to make sure that chick I mean not chicken hat, but but uh Peekaboo had a ride to wrestling. I mean, yeah. I'd go out of my way literally to go get him and make sure he got home. I mean, I'd carry him every Friday to Franklin, Kentucky on and off for the four or five years we ran up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's another one we've lost. Another fan. I know yeah, we had know. Mama, D, Mama D, we had Peekaboo, you know, we had, and of course, TJ, you brought up Josephus. We've lost so many people, you know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, Mike Searcy. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. It's just such a different world now. And it's, it's kind of like, man, all these people that we've lost that, that are just so meaningful people. I remember the funeral, you know, going to the funeral and the, and the visitation and stuff. And, and I remember I was like, man, I'm, I'm actually wearing my gimmick gear because <laughs> that was my suit, you know, <laughs> and everybody was there. And, you know, I just remember seeing everybody there. And I was like, man, I was like some of the toughest people in this business in this town are here shedding a tear over this man. And I mean, that's, 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 that's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, you know, after that, I mean, the, the memorial show for TJ and you guys winning the belts and it was just, I mean, talk about that, Kroll. Talk about putting that show together. I don't know, man. That was, that was pretty, I mean, that's two things I'm proud of. One that, you know, his last show that we ever 
was with him at was at the sawmill and it was probably one of the top five shows we ever did there and uh that he actually made a shitload of money and uh <laughs> and uh, that we were able to do a couple of memorial shows and give him a good send-off you know we did a pretty good memorial tv show after he passed you know i mean you know for who he was i think we we honored him pretty good and gave him a pretty awesome send-off yeah yeah you did definitely yeah tell me this because you know this is kind of you know we couldn't get everybody that would and i'm sure some people might have had some hurt feelings that they're not on this show and we didn't mean it in that way i know i did not mean it to hurt anybody's feelings this is just a tribute to tj but let's give some shout outs to people i mean kevin especially your family who 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 would you like to shout out on on this one i mean obviously the whole family you know my brother cody my brother preston um you know um his widow angie you know she yeah. stood by him for 22 20 you know 20 something years uh you know my brother drew uh you know chris bomb you know they tagged so long and um was great tag team yeah yeah um, you know a bunch uh, he always had good friends in the business guys like hammer jack tony fault Aaron fox yeah um, you know they always was there to help him you know it's obviously Kroll. you know he's on here but you got to give props to Kroll. if it was oh, yeah. Kroll over half i mean 80 90 percent of that you know production would have never happened yeah. Uh, so yeah my dad did not know any of that <laughs> as far as production um you know um, if i miss somebody i'm sorry it's just I'm trying to ramble off the top of my head here. No, and I put you on the spot with that one, but you know, no, you're I, fine. I just, I just, you know, I know that there are people, and and here's the thing, you know, I don't care, and I can say this right now, I don't care if we do this every year because I think, you know, TJ meant that much to me, and I think it would be something that would be kind of fun, and we can bring mm -hmm. on people next time to talk more about him and and have new stories and different stories, but mainly just a kind of a almost like a fellowship together talking about our old buddy, you know, and your dad, obviously, you know. And, mm -hmm. you know, to me, I just look at it from a for perspective of like I was this know nothing kid that had done a few things and he said, hey, come out here. I'll give you money to do it, which is a whole other thing, you know, and, you know, when you're not getting paid and you're and you're working as and you're paying your dues. And I'm like Kevin said earlier, I totally believe in that. But when somebody says, hey, you're worth this, you're worth something. If you're going to make a drive to come out here, you're worth something that that makes you feel good. You know what I mean? That that makes you feel like, man, this is I'm doing this for a reason now. You know what I mean? And other than me just being a mark for the business, you know what I mean? So we're all marked for the business. We wouldn't be <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I will say if you were to, let's just pretend like this is our, you know, last chance to talk about TJ and it's not, I promise you all it's not, but let's just pretend like it is. If there was one thing that you wanted the people to remember about your dad, Kevin, what would it be? Um, probably just how big of a heart he had. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, um, I know Crow was talking about, you know, things he'd done for other people, but, um, when my dad really got sick and it was hard for him to stand, he cut a hole in the concession stands wall. Just, uh, the only time he would ever stand was when we were wrestling. One of his kids was wrestling Yeah. and watch us. And I'll never forget that. But the heart he had for each 
and every person he ever came in contact with, he never really, he never made an enemy. Yeah. He had an enemy. They had a problem with him. That was their issue. Problem with anybody. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, there, there are some legitimate issues, you know, nobody's perfect, but. Right, right. He just had such a big heart for everybody and in and outside of the wrestling business. And if yeah. he was mad at you or had an issue with you, you know, a week later it'd be smoothed over or forgotten, rolled off his sleeve, you know. Yeah, yeah. I always told uh, people uh, after his funeral, uh, until this day I'll tell people this, um, you know, I hope I don't die soon, but when I die, I told him, I said, the legacy my dad had as many people was in that funeral home. Uh, I mean, honestly, I don't think he could get another person in that funeral. Right, exactly. Yeah, it was booked. Uh, yeah, it was big. You know, yeah. friends, family, you know, associates, you know, guys that worked for him as far as wrestling, you know, that spoke volumes to me and kind of groomed me as an adult now to like, hey, that's what I want my legacy to be. It may not be with wrestling, but when I die, my legacy's here. That's what I want it to be. I want people to remember me, you know, as being a great person and, you know, a good person. Right, right. And that's just, I've taken that and kind of modeled my life after that. I mean, dude. That you're doing right by now, right now you are, man. You know, I can tell you got you you got the focus right, and you got you got you know you got it you got it together, man. And you can tell, you know. And I'm it's happy to see I'm happy to see you're doing well, man. You know. I like to think I got it together most days. You know, you have them days. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we all do, man. Yeah. What about you, Crow? What would you like the people to remember about TJ the most? I think Kevin said it. I mean, everybody, you know, he, if he had an enemy, I, I wouldn't know who it would be. But, I mean, here it is nine and a half years since he's passed, and we're still talking about him like he left yesterday, you know? Right, right. So, I mean, I think he, he submitted his own legacy because he had enough enough friends like me and enough kids to, you know, to, you know they'll be singing TJ's name for, uh, probably after I'm dead and gone. Yeah, I mean, no. I've I've heard the story that you're not really gone until the last person who remembered you is gone. You know what I mean? And I think TJ's going to spirit, and I think his legacy will be alive for a long time to come, man. You know, tell, I never knew that story about him allowing people to come in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of promoters that would have turned him away. They didn't have the money to come in the show. You know, it would have been, well, all right come back next time when you do you know yeah but i mean as a friend i'd, I'd love just to hug him and tell him i love him no doubt, man. because beyond this wrestling shit he was one of my true friends yeah and i got his yeah. picture in my office and every time i'm in there i'll tell him i love him yeah yeah well Guys, I, this has been, you know, I knew this would be emotional, but I also wanted this to be fun and funny. And this has been awesome that y'all have come on here and shared your stories with us. And like I said, you know, I can't compare what he's done for me to anybody else. But I feel like if he treated anybody else like he did me, I, I, I would know that they care about him the same way I do because 
it's just uh, it's just one of those things. I, I can't really put it into words, even though I've tried several times. It's, it's how he how he did how he did business is something that sh- people should really learn from, you know. But we we thank you guys for coming on here, and we thank you so much for talking about your dad, your best friend. We thank you guys for doing this show with us, Phyllis. It really means a lot. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for the stories and everything. Thanks for having us. Guys, you don't know what this means to me. And, uh, you know, like Curl said, nine years later and guys are still, you know, talking about them. And it just, like I said, it just proves the point that I want to live a life to have a legacy like him. And I just, man, I can't thank you enough for bringing me on here and, you know, putting my dad's life as, you know, and making it important, you know, you didn't have to. I mean, I I listen to your podcast almost you. religiously. Thank uh, you, man. Thank you. Here lately, I've been slipping. Uh, I'm on a fire department, and <laughs> you're okay, I'm man. Busy, and uh, <laughs> but I mean, your po- your podcast's doing great. I love it. Thank you. Thank but you. For you to take time and put my dad on a pedestal for this time, you know, it, it means a hell of a lot. Yeah, well, that hey, it's the it's the smallest thing I can do. It's the easiest thing I can do, but it's the it, it means a lot to me that you say that because first of all, you know that's the whole reason I'm doing it, and and that means the world, man. So I just like I said, I want to thank you guys, Kroll, Kevin. Really couldn't have done this one without you all. And like I said, let's make this a yearly thing. Next year we'll uh, we'll bring on some other guests with y'all, and we'll we'll make it a we'll make it a party, you know. So. <laughs> good to me. All right, guys. Well, y'all have a good one, and thank you again. And and we'll uh, we'll see y'all next time. All righty, all right, guys. All right, see y'all later. Thanks. See y'all. Take care. See you, brother. All right. That was awesome, right, She Absolutely, man. It was a pleasure. I feel like I got to know him through uh, through your all story. So it's it's awesome. Yeah. Well. We'll be right back to wrap things up with the plastic sheet going give me back my pro wrestling. Thank y'all. You've been in this business since the day you was born and you know it. Diapers. Seven years ago, I made a choice. I told my dad that I was for sure ready to step in the ring and show him that I was ready for this man's sport. Probably one of the greatest decisions I've ever made. My dad just wasn't a dad that he took you out and played ball. He took you to the ring and made us all men ready to go to war at any time and fight for what's right. taught us everything we need, everything. It's gonna be hard stepping in that ring and looking back. I know my dad's not gonna be there anymore. But he'll always be with me in my heart. And for that, I'm gonna fight even harder, stronger, faster. 
and I'm gonna do something my dad always loved. Watch me do. It was his favorite thing in the world. You ask him what his favorite thing was, and it was watching his kids get the ring. And just fight one hell of a battle. And come out knowing you're a better man for it. And he taught us when we took them butt whoopings, get up, shake the man's hand, go for round two. He taught us respect. He taught us forgiveness. I can honestly say there will never be a man to take his place in my heart. Nobody. And as long as I live, when I'm in this sport, every time I go to that ring, I'm going to war for my dad. Every time. This is your rock star ring announcer, Aaron Camaro. I'm a man who believes the two greatest art forms ever created are professional wrestling and heavy rock music. So when I'm not hosting the best parties that also happen to be live professional wrestling shows, I'm hosting the Decibel Geek Podcast. Decibel Geek is a weekly podcast that features discussions of all things rock. We're talking the Beatles, the Stones, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, Black Sabbath, Kiss, Ozzy, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, Alice in Chains, Pantera, and everything in between. Plus, we'll turn you on to new bands from today that have the same spirit and style that the legends do. Decibel Geek is hosted by myself along with Rockin' Pod founder Chris Sinzak and each week you'll get interviews with famous musicians and industry insiders along with informative, entertaining, humorous and insightful discussions and most importantly a passion for the music. So if you love to rock out as much as I do then this is your invitation to the greatest rock and roll party in all of podcasting. It's Decibel Geek, and it's available right now on all major podcast platforms. Oh yeah! Sheik, one more time. TJ Weatherby was awesome, right? That was a cool episode, man. Thank you, Kevin, and thank you, Kroll. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's um, it's good to um, see the passion uh, behind each of them when talking about him, and you know the stories are are great. And I'm sure there are many more stories we didn't get to, but um, maybe that's maybe that's a like you said, maybe if we do this yearly or something like that, those are down the road. So. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll bring on other folks, you know, and I'm thinking, heck, we can bring on Hot Rod, Hammer Jack, you know, more members of TJ's family. There's there's all kinds of them that we can bring on. I mean, there's literally uh, Farron, Tony Falk. I mean, there's so many people we can bring on in the future. So we'll just see how it goes. And and hopefully maybe we can make this a yearly thing and, and play a little, you know, do a little tribute for TJ, man. I, I think I think we can give him that. No, no question. So just stay tuned into the future. 
future. But what I want to say here is, you know, you did hear some clips throughout the show. Now, I took that from the TJ Memorial episode that was they played on TV, and I, I took that from the Nashville Wrestling Network YouTube channel. Now, that's Kroll's YouTube channel. It's got all the old Saw stuff on it. Go into the notes of the episode. There's a link to his channel. Make sure you go to that link and subscribe to it, and you can watch all the old Saw stuff, all the old USWO stuff in his channel. Some excellent stuff. But when it comes down to it, we played some clips. We had Hammerjack and Hot Rod talking. We had, you know, the late Mike Searcy talking about him. I mean, we had Tony Falk. We had Farron Fox. We had Kevin talking, you know, from from those days. So anyway, we just wanted to add those clips in to kind of spice it up a little bit and give some other people a chance to talk and tell their stories about TJ. And the good news is it was already there and it's all there on the Nashville Wrestling Network. So go check out that channel. Make sure you subscribe to it, you know, and and yeah, give Crawl some love because definitely there's some great wrestling action on that channel and I think you'll enjoy it. So like I said, it's at Nashville Wrestling Network on YouTube. <laughs> That's great stuff, man. Yeah. So we definitely thank him, and we definitely thank Kroll for having that channel. We want to definitely thank Kevin, man. I know this was probably very, you know, emotional for him to to be a part of. You know, it's his dad. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. you, you know, I just wanted to do this show, and when I brought it to you, you were all cool with it. And then, of course, getting Kevin and Kroll on just added to the element of of just making it. I don't know, making it something that you know, because there's things that people don't remember that Kroll does and there's you know we got to have Kevin on you know so it it was a no-brainer to get those two and we hope y'all enjoyed it and once again we thank y'all so much for listening next episode we got something planned I don't want to spoil it just yet but like I said as always go to at gmbmpw on Facebook YouTube X Instagram. You will not miss a thing if you're subscribed to one of those or all of those, preferably. And it means the world to us that y'all subscribe and follow and like and comment. So just keep that up. Again, we thank you all so much. But yeah, I think that's all for today, brother. You you got anything else you'd like to say? No, man. It's uh, I think we've covered it all. All right. Well, that is it. And... We will see y'all next time on Give Me Back, my pro wrestling. Stay tuned. Don't forget. TJ, 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 TJ. With a tear in my eye. This is the greatest moment in my life. This has been a James Rock Street production.